Braves and baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Braves and baseball talk, straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. And hello and welcome to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios as always as we wrap up not only a great week of Braves baseball, but we are wrapping up a great first half of Braves baseball. Absolutely unbelievable run that Atlanta's on. Don't get it twisted here in the final game of this first half that, yeah, they may have lost to the Tampa Bay Rays, but 11 consecutive series victories, winning streaks of seven, eight, nine games all since June the 1st. It has been an incredible run by a team that has most certainly shown that it is one of the most incredible Braves clubs that we have seen. With a lot of baseball left to go, there's a lot of things that they're on track to do. Uh, quite possibly if they are able to play up to the lofty standards they set in each of the last two seasons. The Braves have not always started off this strong. They have come into the second half looking to maybe make up some ground, looking to pull some things together, maybe pull off a trade, whatever it may be the last couple of years. That's been the story. The 2023 Braves, they're just built different. We're going to talk all about the things that have been built different about this club and the reasons why they are where they are, which is sitting atop the National League East yet again, sixth consecutive year that they're looking to win the division. But, of course, Make that run through October. We know all about it from 2021. The Braves want to do that again this year. They've been on a track to uh, send a pretty serious message to the rest of Major League Baseball to the tune of 60 wins in the first half and a team that's sending eight men to the All-Star game. That's a little validation for what the Braves are doing as well. We're going to get into all the big things that were going on in the first half. Of course, we'll recap a little bit of this Rays series from this weekend where the Braves took two out of three from a club that for much of the season was able to say they're the best club in baseball. Well, the Braves, they just ran them down and passed them. Might have even run a lap around them down there at the drop over the course of the weekend as well. It was just that kind of first half for this Braves team. We'll get into all of that, but before we do, of course, I want to remind you that you can find From the Diamond right here on 929 The Game on Sundays, typically from 5 to 7 p.m. You can also find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Go ahead and click that subscribe button, and you can find me on the Odyssey app. You can follow along with me on Twitter, at Grant McCauley's, where you can find me. Same thing for Instagram. The show is on Twitter, at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end, and at From the Diamond over on Instagram. And if you're wondering, and I know you are, I am on threads. You can follow me at Grant McCauley there. Like the show on Facebook and find all the links for all that kind of stuff and anything else I can throw your way at FromTheDiamond.com. We'll leave that one right there. Uh, Braves had a tremendous week that really just was a culmination of a tremendous month of June that rolled right into the month of July. And now they find themselves here at the All-Star break with the best record in all of baseball. And if you watched the first half and you saw the Braves get off to a fast start, then you had to feel pretty good about that. But the things that happened, I feel like, between about April the 20th or so and maybe the end of May had you kind of wondering. And and I'm sure that the injuries, more than anything, had you wondering, how is this Braves team going to find a way to make it through? Well, they more than found a way. One of them that we'll talk a lot about on this show is Ronald Acuna Jr., 
being the best player in the National League. That is a pretty good way to set the tone for your lineup when your leadoff hitter is doing the kinds of things that Ronald is doing. As you well know, I have that 40-40 tracker. I kind of went all in on opening day and said, look, if Ronald Cooney Jr. is healthy, which is what he looks like in spring training, I'm going to go ahead and set the expectation back to pre-knee injury Ronald Acuna Jr., who had already flirted with a 40-40 season, had already said, hey, I want to do this thing, and as we well know, at 25 years old, should be capable of doing this thing. Well, I feel pretty good. He got to the 40 stolen bases before the All-Star break, which is incredible. He's on pace for 75 of those, in case you're wondering where the tracker is sitting currently. 21 home runs in this first half in 89 games. That has him on track for 39 of those. We're going to talk about all the paces of Ronald Acuna Jr. because it's not just home runs and stolen bases for this guy. It's runs scored. It's runs batted in. It's hits. It's wins above replacement. It's the lack of strikeouts. It's more walks. I mean, this is the best Ronald Acuna Jr. we've ever seen. So when we're taking stock of the first half for the Atlanta Braves and you're looking for a blue chip stock, it's Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, he's got some company for players of the first half, most certainly, but Ronald I just feel like he has kind of gotten out away from the pack because that's just who he is. But how about what Matt Olson has done over the past month plus? National League home run and RBI leader at the All-Star break. Those are things about a month ago I don't know that too many people would have bought into. Matt was kind of going through a little bit of a slump. The strikeouts were starting to pile up on him. They really had throughout the course of the season. That has all changed over the last month. And you know from listening to the show the last few weeks, uh, the month of June was incredibly kind to not only Matt Olson, but a lot of other Braves on the offensive side of things. Sean Murphy putting together a career year. Ozzie Albies, I think he's putting together a career year. We all know about Orlando Arcia, the story that he is. Michael Harris has gotten right. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, Eddie Rosario, they've also gotten right. And then what's happening behind the plate, not just Sean Murphy, but also Travis Darno. Braves have the best catching duo in Major League Baseball, and it's not even close. And I think that's because, and we're going to get into this a little bit later on, the Braves have the best catcher in Major League Baseball. His name is Sean Murphy. So just in case you have uh, just tuned in to Braves Baseball here recently and might have noticed that this guy is kind of a tour de force behind the plate and at the plate, I can confirm. He has put up numbers that uh, no other catcher in Major League Baseball can touch here in the year of 2023. Sean Murphy's first year in a Braves uniform. Pretty incredible. We're going to take stock, though, of everything that's gone on in the first half, not just what's happened at the plate, which has kind of been the front-page news, but how about Spencer Strider? Major League strikeout leader heading to the All-Star game for the first time. I know Bryce Elder took it on the chin down in Tampa Bay to close out the first half, but he's been among the best stories for the Braves in the first half. It brought one of the best ERAs in baseball into his final start in the first half. And that kind of thing can change in just one start, as we've seen. But the overall body of work for this kid, easily one of the best stories for the Braves in the first half. I'm going to have Chris Willis of Battery Power join me a little bit later on in the show as we take uh, – a real look and inventory, if you will, at what the Braves have done, what they're capable of doing going forward. And, of course, if you're joining me right here for the All-Star Week edition of the show, wrapping up the first half, then I don't need to tell you if you're a baseball fan what's on your calendar next when we get through the All-Star game. It's a trade deadline. That's coming up on August the 1st. So that's something Chris and I will get into as well as he joins me a little bit later in the show. As we look at this first half, from a narrative standpoint, over the course of the winter, we heard a lot about the Atlanta Braves are a good team, but did they do enough in the offseason to match what the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies did? I would venture a guess that the Braves feel pretty good about where they are through the first half of the season. I will stipulate there is a whole bunch of baseball that to be played, 73 games if we want to get technical about it, and New York has played better of late. Philadelphia Phillies have played better of late, but 
mean, you look at this National League East division, nobody's declaring it over, but the Braves have done exactly what they need to do work-wise here in this first half. The surprise team, though, is the Miami Marlins. For as surprising as it is to see the Mets as far back as they are, the Miami Marlins being within at least shouting distance of the Braves for much of the first half, save the red-hot June that Atlanta got on and really kind of opened up this division. But the Marlins have been one of the great stories in baseball here in the first half. And I'm going to have Craig Mish a little bit later on. He's going to join me. He covers the Marlins on a variety of platforms. And Craig, I think as many people uh, would attest to, they got to be pretty pleased with his first half in Miami. And it's going to put the Marlins in a totally different position than they've been in in recent years. Typically, clubs are calling the Marlins saying, hey, how'd you like to maybe deal us this guy? How'd you like to trade us this pitcher, this reliever, this whatever it is? And a lot of times they're going to go ahead and do that. But now, when they're a team that's about 10 games over 500, rolling into the midway portion of the season, they've done all this despite the struggles of Sandy Alcantara, which is a crazy thing to think about. He's a National League Cy Young Award winner last year. I think he can probably turn some things around in the second half, too. Let's just point that out. But this is a Marlins team that uh, you put them on a short list. Cincinnati Reds are on this list as far as the, you know teams that have come out of nowhere to really surprise you. Texas Rangers, I think, have taken a big step forward, but I don't know that they're surprising anyone because they spent a ton of money to be good. The surprise of the San Diego Padres, the New York Mets, St. Louis Cardinals all being bad, those aside, you know, if you're looking for teams that have really opened some eyes in the first half and given themselves a chance to go into the trade deadline and maybe do some buying, the Miami Marlins are typically not on that list, but they are this year as they have closed out the first half in second place. And more importantly, if you look at them, not just trying to chase down the Braves, who are on kind of a historic run here, but they have the opportunity to get into this wild card, which is an expanded field because of the expanded playoffs, which is going to make it really interesting to see who decides to throw in the towel and do some trading before August the 1st. And one thing I think is, I'm not on the rules committee for Major League Baseball, but uh, you know, growing up, you had the trade deadline that was typically on July 31st. Then over the next month, you could put players on waivers. And if they cleared waivers, which means the team has, what, 72 hours, I believe, to claim them, and then you can work on a trade, or the club can just say, hey, how would you like to inherit this contract? Congratulations, there you are. You can have it. I feel like the non-waiver trade deadline and the waiver trade deadline were a nice little one-two punch for the opportunity to make your club better as you needed to. But the waiver deals went away a couple of years ago. Now with the expanded playoffs, I don't know if Major League Baseball will think about bringing them back. I don't know if they want it back. I don't know if the Players Association wants it back, but I almost feel like as you expand the field and you, you kind of force teams to make a decision, be all in, you can't really go halfway. I guess you can stand pat. Maybe that's going halfway for some clubs, but... I think the waiver trades coming back might be an interesting little caveat moving forward. But putting all that aside, we got a lot to talk about that has nothing to do with the trade deadline and everything to do with just how great this Atlanta Braves club has been in the first half of this year. They rolled through Cleveland, took two out of three from that club, losing one game in extras. They just took two out of three from the Tampa Bay Rays. They beat up on that team that had lost seven in a row to take that series. And this is the best Braves team we've seen in 20 years. And you're going to hear a lot about this, not just on the show, but over the course of the season. This is a club that has a chance to break the home run record for all of Major League Baseball, offensively speaking, score more runs than any other Braves team in franchise history, and oh, by the way, win more games than any other Braves team in franchise history. They're on pace for 110 wins in 2023. Historically, things are looking pretty good, but as we know, it's all about what happens in October, and that's what the Braves are going to be focused on, but getting there and coming together and playing like this, and maybe you're going to get the ace of your staff, Max Freeback, pretty soon. I think there's a lot to look forward to here in the second half. we got a lot to dive into on today's show as we look into all the things that have been going on for the Braves and uh, what we have to look forward to over the All-Star break with eight Braves heading to Seattle for the All-Star game. 
and of course, uh, some of the accomplishments, statistical or otherwise, that this team has put in in the first half. We're going to dive into all of that as we continue here with this week in Braves baseball on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, more From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in to From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Live from the Kia Studios in Midtown, wrapping up uh, another good road trip for the Braves. They won a couple of series, and of course, we're wrapping up the whole first half with this Braves team, which has the best record in all of Major League Baseball. It's been an incredible run. They're 60-29 and 29 over the course of the first three-plus months of the season, exactly where they want to be, and they've done all of this despite, as you well know, some injuries to key players uh, without two of their staff aces, and with a number of other players that had to go through both injuries and inconsistency to try to you know, find their way to uh, being the contributor that they want to be. And that's just kind of the negatives that have gone on. But there aren't that many of those. Every club deals with them. But the resiliency of this team, I think that is a, a real question we should be asking ourselves. Is that What do we learn about the Braves in the first half of 2023? I wrote down a few adjectives or, well, some of them are nouns if we want to get technical here. But uh, resiliency, I guess, is the number one word. They are a resilient club. By dealing with those injuries, by finding a way to have the next man step up and, in some cases, outperform. And not only the expectations you have for that player, but maybe the guy that they were replacing in some cases. And, of course, I'm talking about Bryce Elder. He's been pretty awesome over the course of the first half of the season, even with a clunker in the finale against the Tampa Bay Rays on Sunday. If you're looking at the overall net positives for the Braves and big stories, you know Bryce Elder, Orlando Arcia, they're toward the top of the list there. And, of course, some big seasons are a part of that too with Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, all guys that we're going to talk about. The depth of this club, I think, is what allows you to be able to play the way that the Braves have. You know, a lot of teams will talk about that depth. It's kind of some lip service over the course of the winter. Yeah, we're just looking to add a few pieces here or there and, you know, hope that we can mix and match and deal with injuries because we know they're coming. And the Braves, I know Brian Snicker always says, we're going to use all these pitchers. The first meeting that they have in spring training, you've got, I don't know, three, four dozen pitchers who've been invited to camp, and you know Brian Snickers steps up in front of all those guys and says, hey, you know, welcome to the new season. Everybody get to work. You know, we're going to need all of you. All you got to do is uh, be ready for your opportunity, and I think we've seen opportunity knock for some pitchers for the Braves this year, and we know in the second half. We could be depending on a lot of different scenarios and will be, I'm sure, for other guys to step in and play a role, but they used 11 different starters last year. They've used quite a few different starters in this season, primarily because you've gotten exactly 10 starts out of Kyle Wright and Max Freed in the course of the first half. And some good news, you got Max Freed out on a rehab assignment, could be back at the end of the month. That's certainly great to see. The Braves are looking forward to that as they get to the All-Star break and look to welcome Max Freed back before the trade deadline if all goes according to plan. But the other thing I really look at for this club is the power. I mean, the power of this lineup and the ability to score runs has been the hallmark of this Braves club in 2023. There's just no two ways about it. They have pitched extremely well, perhaps a little bit underrated sometimes in the bullpen and maybe even in the starting rotation, despite the injuries and the absences that they've had. It shouldn't be a surprise where a club has won 60 games of their first 89 of the season. And the Braves' ERA as a team, very respectable, both for the rotation and for the bullpen. you got the Major League strikeout leader, Spencer Strider. That's going to help out an awful lot. But this bullpen, since the month of June rolled around, they've also come together, despite kind of having to deal with some injuries, maybe some injury scares, even over the weekend, A.J. Minter. Had to come out of a game, but Jesse Chavez went down. Uh, Rysel Iglesias wasn't available at the start of the season, and then you had all those bullpen games. It seemed like they were just wiping this bullpen out at the end of May, and now that feels like ancient history because of how good the month of June was. But again, resiliency, the power of this lineup, the run scoring capability, the home run prowess of this club, 
those are the kind of the hallmarks, at least for me, of the first half with this Braves team. And incredible roles they head into the second half. 11 consecutive series victories. First team in Major League Baseball to 60 wins. And 27 out of 32 games heading to the All-Star break were victories for the Atlanta Braves. Again, what a role. Since June the 1st of last year, I went back and looked at this number last night. You've probably seen it on Twitter a few different places now because it's a pretty popular one. Heading into Sunday, there was a 200-game span since the Braves began a 14-game winning streak in June of 2022. Atlanta won 138 of those 200 games. That's a nearly 700 winning percentage if you're scoring at home. And if you're to just break it down over the course of 162, that's a 112-win pace. And the Braves have been on that since June of last year. Now, I don't need to remind you, nor do you need to remind me, that October last year for the Braves did not go according to their plans. I think there were reasons for that that have been well-documented, including Max Fried being sick, Spencer Strider coming off an injury. Uh, those are the two big things I would look at for that club and not getting it done last October. But this is a team that did not let that deter them from getting right back to work and going on a blistering pace over the course of 2023 so far. And that blistering pace has a lot to do with the power department for this Atlanta Braves team. They've set a Major League Baseball home run record before the All-Star break with 169 home runs. They're on pace for 311 homers, which would break the record set by the 2019 Minnesota Twins of 307. That's a single-season record for most home runs by a Major League Baseball club in baseball history. Not modern history, not recent history. The Braves could be the most homer-happy club that we've ever seen in Major League Baseball, and that is a big component to why they're doing this winning. One man you'll find in the middle of the lineup now who's kind of powering this is Matt Olson. He is the National League home run leader. He is the National League RBI leader, just one off the Major League lead as of the close of the Braves and Rays a little bit earlier on Sunday afternoon with 72 RBI. 29 home runs, most ever by a Braves player before the All-Star break. Went back and did some digging because you know that Andrew Jones set that home run record for the Braves in 2005. He hit 51 homers. Mattelson's on pace for 53 home runs as of Sunday. You go ahead and set the single-season home run record for the club and have a chance to set an RBI record, at least a modern one, for the team as well. He's on pace for 133 runs batted in. Uh, that's a pretty good way to go ahead and establish yourself as a big fixture for the Braves, and that's exactly why they traded for him, to be a run producer. It wasn't working at second in the order. And if you're looking for stories of the Braves and their ability to you know, find ways to start winning and, and find ways to contribute. When they flipped Ozzie Albies and Matt Olson from the middle of the order to the second spot in the order for Albies, and Olson dropped down to five for a minute and then jumped into that cleanup spot, he has absolutely taken off. On pace for 50-plus home runs in his second year in a Braves uniform. Now, the Braves made a couple of trades with the Oakland Athletics that are well-documented at this point. Olson was the first one prior to 2022. And then last December... They went ahead and swung another trade with the A's to get another player who has a lot of upside in his mid to late 20s and went ahead and signed an extension with the Braves. And I'm speaking about Sean Murphy. Now, we've seen Sean over the past week or so. I feel like he's just gone supernova. I mean, it's like just a cheat code for the Braves in their lineup. I mean, pull up those baseball savant pages. And you look at Sean Murphy's and you look at Ronald Acuna Jr.'s. About the only thing that's different, well, you trade two things, maybe outs above average, some of the defensive components for Sean, and sprint speed for Ronald Acuna Jr., that's about it. You're going to find him in the 90th or better percentile in just about everything you could possibly want to see. And the result of that would be uh, the kind of numbers I'm about to read off to you. Sean Murphy's batting a career-high 306, is only one home run away from his career-high in home runs, which he set last year in 148 games. And Sean has done all of this in 67 games this year. 
He's driven in 55. He scored 42 more. He's got 17 doubles. I mean, he's just absolutely just tearing the cover off the ball. And then you throw in the component of he is one of the best stolen base deterrents because of his arm, his defensive value, and the value that he has for game planning and helping these pitchers kind of navigate these lineups. I mean, Sean Murphy is. And if it wasn't for Ron Lacuna Jr., we might be talking about an MVP case, and he still should get some MVP votes. Let me just go ahead and throw that out there. There's a possibility. If Sean Murphy continues to play this way, Ron Lacuna Jr. could win the MVP award and could do it unanimously. And Sean Murphy could finish right behind him, or maybe third at worst. And I don't think you could get too much of an argument out of too many people about the very real case that could be made for Sean Murphy as an MVP for this club. And again, maybe it's the non-Ronald Acuna Jr. category, which is kind of like my bigger baseball board, where I have the non-Shohei Otani category, where most of the rest of the world and the universe tends to operate. But what Sean Murphy has done this year has just been far and away, and above and beyond the expectations that a lot of people had for him. And I know I said on this station several times when the Braves made this trade, I think this is a guy, you get him out of the Coliseum, he's got some power, he's going to do all the things defensively you want him to do, he's going to help lead a pitching staff, and his offensive numbers could surprise you. He could hit 20 or 25 home runs. He should certainly see a, a bump in the batting average and on-base percentage just by being out of the Oakland Coliseum. Well, he's seen more than a bump. I mean, even for somebody like me that thought this is a very good upside play, for somebody that could really come into his own in a hitter-friendly park and in a better lineup like the Braves have in Truist Park and just batting in the middle of this order, man, Sean Murphy has just taken that one and uh, run away with it. But it's not just Sean Murphy behind the plate who has been so good for this Braves team. You had an all-star a year ago in Travis Darno, And Travis, uh, though he missed nearly a month with that concussion, he has come back and looked no worse for the wear and picked up right where he left off, getting off to a hot start. Travis had another home run on Sunday, which gives the Braves catchers between Sean Murphy and Travis Darno 25 combined home runs in 89 games before the All-Star break. So a 40-plus homer pace for the Braves catchers, with Murphy, I think, having a, a definite chance of getting 30 on the season. And I think Darno, even playing somewhat sparingly, could push 15 or 20. That's an incredible amount of production to think about from behind the plate. And then you throw in the component that we've talked about a lot on the show. I mean, I talked to Travis Darno about it a few weeks ago, you know, what they're doing, working with the pitching staff, the game planning, and the execution that has really led the Braves to being so successful and has these pitchers in such good hands no matter who is behind the plate that particular day. Now, Sean Murphy's a gold glove candidate. That may not be the bag for Travis Darno, but I can tell you the confidence those pitchers have with either of those men behind the plate is off the charts. And there's something to be said for that for sure. But 25 home runs on the season for the Braves catchers here at the half. Most in Major League Baseball, the Royals have gotten 18 home runs from their catchers. Of course, you know they have uh, Sal Perez there, who's uh, been extremely good for a number of years. I think it was close to or led the American League in homers a couple of years ago. But, yeah, man, what Sean Murphy and uh, Travis Darno have done has just been kind of a next-level thing. So I went back and looked at this Braves club. I talked about that home run pace that they're on uh, of 310-plus homers, which would break the record set by the 2019 Twins. Braves already broke the Twins record of that same year for most homers at the All-Star break. Well, now you start looking at where does this 2023 Braves club rank among some of the great Braves teams that we've seen, maybe of the 1990s, early 2000s. Of course, you could throw 2022 and I think 2019 into that mix as far as some of the better Braves teams that we've seen in the last 25-plus years. But I went back and looked at that 2003 team, 103 victories prior to last year, and that was the last 100-win team of the Braves' run of 14 consecutive titles. And 
We hadn't seen 100 wins in quite a little while when we went through the 20 teams. It took a minute to get back there. They scored 907 runs. That's a modern record for the Braves as a team. 1998 club we've talked a lot about. Some people hate that I bring them up because I know how it ended. But let me just throw the caveat in. The 98 club may be disappointing, but there are quite a few other points of the 90s I would probably point out to you were a little bit more painful than the 98 club not winning at all. But anytime you had a chance to win at all, obviously, that kind of stings. The 98 club had 106 wins. That's a Braves franchise record. They scored 826 runs. Not a bad year. Didn't end the way you wanted it to. 2023 club is on pace for 109 wins and 908 runs scored. So most wins and most runs scored, those things tend to go together. And the Braves in 2023, well, they've got the opportunity to make that thing happen. It's just been a tremendous first half. It gives you a lot of confidence about what's ahead for this Braves team, particularly when you think about getting healthy, welcoming Max Fried back, hopefully getting Kyle Wright back not too long after that. Michael Soroka could continue to improve. And the trade deadline's out there. I can't point to a place really in the lineup or really anywhere that's like, well, you have to go out and address this. If you don't, then you've got a glaring hole. The Braves don't have any glaring holes. And knock on wood, if they stay healthy, you've seen exactly what they're capable of by showing you the best record in all of Major League Baseball here at the All-Star break. But we got lots to take stock of and lots to recap when it comes to this first half of the season. When we come back, I'm going to welcome in Chris Willis of Battery Power. He'll join me to take stock of the Braves at the halfway point of the season. And it comes your way next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley as we continue here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, live from the Kia Studios on a Sunday, wrapping up not only a week of Braves baseball, but the entire first half, which wrapped up on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Rays as the Braves won their 11th consecutive series. Let me welcome Chris Willis of Battery Power into the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Willis. He joins me right now on the WaitFor.com hotline. Well, Chris, we see each other at the ballpark quite a bit, and I know that we've had fun watching the 2023 Braves come together, and I don't think that either one of us could have expected some of the things, some of the players, some of the main contributors, the surprises, and maybe just some of the flat-out dominance that this team has shown us in the first half. No, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, and when you, I think the most amazing thing to me is, is when you look at their record and then you realize how little they've gotten from Max Freed. Kyle Wright, two guys that we just felt like they were dependent on in that rotation. But, you know, I guess when you can score this many runs, hit this many home runs, it's got a way of working itself out. But there's been a a ton of just unbelievable performances from this first half. There really have. We're going to get into a lot of those and probably run out of time because that's exactly how many the Braves have given us here in the first half with a lot of baseball still to go. As they wrap up the first half, they have the best record in Major League Baseball, battling it out with the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the other best teams in baseball. That's kind of a nice little treat heading into the All-Star break. While the Braves may not have drawn it up that way in spring training, you consider everything we've seen in this first half, and particularly since June the 1st, the way this team is getting it done, not only being in first place, but they've come together and they've managed to take over a National League East race that I think we all saw going a lot differently But you brought up something I think is pretty interesting. If it told you back in spring training that, hey, look, you're going to get to the all-star break, you know, 90-ish games into the season, and you're going to have gotten 10 starts from Max Fried and Kyle Wright, what would you have guessed that the Atlanta Braves record would be? Because I don't think that best record in baseball would have rolled right off the top. 
No, I mean, I would have been thinking, well, I hope they're around 500 mark, honestly, you know, kind of in the same place they've been the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. you know, and just trying to figure it out and get to the trade deadline to get some reinforcements and hopefully get some people healthy. So, but I do remember this though, you know, we were talking in spring training just about how deep this team was. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people really paid too much attention to that, honestly, you know, that's just a good soundbite in a lot of cases. But I think, you know, if you look at the way this first half's gone, the depth has very much shown up. It's not just the pitching injuries. Obviously, Freed's is the biggest, but, you know, they've been without Travis Darno. They've been out without Sean Murphy. They've mm-hmm. been without a lot of people in that bullpen, shuffled them in and out. And, you know, I think the depth has really shown you know, for this for this roster, top to bottom, it really has. I mean, because that list, that injured list, you know, no pun intended, has included not just Wright and Freed, but you can also throw on. They did not have Soroka until just now. We're going to see what he's going to be able to give them. But how about three or so weeks for Orlando Arcia on the injured list, and Michael Harris right. the second on the injured list as well. The Braves have been able to overcome, and they've been able to create an offense that when you talk about depth, one through nine. I think this is the best lineup in Major League Baseball. It all starts with Ronald Acuna Jr. And I've said for a while, I know you agree, we're watching something special, but he just continues to show us on a daily basis this year that the best may still be yet to come for this kid as he enters his prime years at age 25, putting up a season that by the time we're said and done in 2023 might be one of the historically best seasons statistically we've ever seen in baseball. Yeah, I mean, he's been unbelievable. I've run out of ways to describe it, honestly. Just watching him day in, day out has just been such a treat to see him healthy, having fun, and showing the talent that he had. Because last year was just such a struggle coming off the injury. You know, he never was comfortable. And I think a lot of people kind of forgot just how good he was. Mm -hmm. You know, you very seldom ever heard his name mentioned in the best players in the game conversation. And I think he's reminding everybody this season. And, and I mean, I just I think the only thing you just want him to stay healthy and just see just how good of a season he can put up because it's been amazing so far. Yeah, I mean, that's the caveat for everybody is going to be health because it's never guaranteed. And we've seen a lot of seasons. I mean, just look at the last four or five years for Mike Trout, who just landed on the injured list again. You just want to see these guys healthy out there doing their thing. I talked to Matt Olson about a month or so ago. And he said, in terms of Ronald's success this year, that he felt like Acuna got a bad rap a year ago because his down year is a season a lot of players across Major League Baseball would like to have. And when you consider how hard he had to work to just you know be healthy and be out there every day, that's something that behind the scenes maybe not everybody saw. But then, keeping in mind what he was before the injury, I think he's starting to remind you what a fully healthy Ronald Acuna Jr. is capable of doing. Uh, chatting with Chris Willis of Battery Power here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. He joins me on the WadeFord.com hotline. Uh, as we talked about Ron Lacuna Jr.'s health and the importance of that, the other name that came right along with him was Ozzie Albies. And I think all winter we were talking about these two guys and what it could mean for this club if they're healthy. And I've used that a lot of times in the backdrop of, well, the Mets are out spending a lot of money making their club better. The Phillies are spending money making their club better. But neither of those two teams had players, the status and the talent level of Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies coming back. We're seeing this year what Ronald and Ozzie can do. A healthy Ozzie Albies was always going to be a major factor in the Braves' success. But how impressed have you been with the level that he's reached, particularly this year, now that he's been elevated in the batting order, is hitting second and showing off perhaps more power than we've even seen in his young career as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people look at Ozzy and it's just like you expect that throwback second baseman that kind of hits it on the ground and runs. And he's absolutely as far from that as as you can get. Yeah. Because this guy's a slugger. He hits the ball hard. And I mean, it's been fun because I mean, he got off to a slow start left handed as June got here and it's like he's taken off. And the power's there from both sides of the plate now. He's a threat. Mm -hmm. And, man, when you can stack him, I always liked Acuna and Albies at the top of the order. I know from a sabermetric standpoint, it wasn't always the greatest because Albies didn't have the highest on-base percentage at times for hitting up there. But, man, just the pressure they put on the defense. It's not just stolen bases. It's going first to third. It's scoring from first you know, on a double, all the pressure that they can put on people. And then when you introduce Michael Harris hitting ninth, you know, you mm-hmm. get that where you get all three of them. And, it, you know, I think it's just adding a completely different aspect to this offense. And then you've got Riley and Olsen coming behind them. But, yeah, I mean, I'll be – to me, I was sitting there watching the other night and he hit the two home runs. And I'm thinking, is there a better second baseman in Major League Baseball right now? And if he can keep this up, He's going to put up a monster season, and uh, you know he's. We know he's been streaky in the past, but mm-hmm. you can see now just how good he is when he does get locked in. And it just feels like something did lock in for him, whatever the case was. I mean, the whole offense. I think we could say that. I mean, Ron Lacuna Jr. from day one has been a tour de force. I mean, that's why he's an MVP candidate. But there have been some highs and lows for Austin Riley, for Matt Olson, for Ozzy Albies. I don't think anybody had any lower lows than Marcelo Zuna had. Eddie Rosario got off to a slow start. Michael Harris. I mean, pretty much everybody go through it, save a, a precious handful of guys. Maybe Sean Murphy has had a, a pretty good all-around year. Travis Darno, Orlando Arcia has maybe tailed off a little bit in the month of June. And, you know, he's still an all-star. We're going to get to him in just a moment. But one through nine, I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, can you find a better lineup in Major League Baseball? Because I know Michael Soroka was asked about it after his start in Atlanta not long ago, and he said, Usually you sit down and you look at a lineup and you start to game plan and think, okay, this is where I'm going to go for some outs. I'm not going to let this guy beat me. I'm going to have to be careful here. But you feel like you have a plan going in. I can't imagine there are too many starting pitchers that are sitting down for a start against the Atlanta Braves saying, this is where I'm going to go get my outs. Because if they are, man, uh, good luck. Because I, I don't see too many outs in that lineup. You know, you're right. I mean, we, we knew this was a good offense back in April and May. But when at the same time, Marcel Zuna wasn't hitting, Eddie Rosario wasn't hitting, Michael Harris got off to a slow start, and now all those guys have taken off. And you're right, there's nowhere to go. There's really nowhere to go in this lineup. I don't think I've ever seen an offense like this. I know the Braves have had some good offenses in the past. That 2019 team, I don't think enough people talk about that offense but it, it wasn't this good top to bottom, not even close. No, not even close. I mean, this reminds me of the 2003 team, which was the best offensive club in the modern era for Braves baseball. I was looking up the strikeouts last year because I know you've got the same kind of feedback that I've gotten from Braves fans and comments and online and social media. Well, this club's boomer butts. They strike out too much. They rely on the home run too much. I mean, you look at what the Braves did last year. They were second in Major League Baseball with nearly 1,500 strikeouts. They've cut that total significantly this year through the first, what, 85, 86 games. They're 24th in Major League Baseball in strikeouts. So now you take the production that you're seeing, the home runs clearly are there, but this is not just a home run dependent offense anymore. We've started to see the Braves manufacture and create runs in all kinds of different areas and to the point we were just making up and down the lineup. I mean, Matt Olson has said as much. You don't have to hit in a certain spot to drive in runs in this lineup. It's pretty much anybody at any time. We feel confident somebody can come through and come up with a hit we need. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the RBI leaders, I mean, you've got two Braves at the very top in the National League, and then 
I saw somebody mention this the other day, and it was always the kind of the thing about the Astros. You know, they hit a ton of home runs. Mm-hmm. They didn't strike out that much. You know, the Braves have been a good home run team now over these five years, five straight division titles. But now you're starting to see that strikeout rate come down, and you're starting yep. to see that dynamic offense just a little bit. And I mean, I think you know there were some big home runs in that 2021 uh, run through the postseason, but I thought they did a better job too of manufacturing some runs when they needed them. And I think you're just seeing that now for a full season. Yeah, and it, it's impressive to see, most certainly. And whatever Kevin Seitzer and company have done on the hitting side, of course, it's individual daily work for all of these guys. I mean, there is a, I don't know, a confidence that the work that they're doing is going to pay off over the long term. And I wrote a piece just this past week for the Marietta Daily Journal that the Braves play the long game better than anybody. And I mean that in they believe that if they continue to show up and play consistently and accountably to one another, that by the end of the year, they're going to be where they want to be, both individually and collectively, which is a nice little piece of your DNA for a Major League Baseball club. Chatting here with Chris Willis of Battery Power on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Uh, Chris, we've had a lot of um, surprises in the first half. I'll put them that way. The two that get to the top of my list pretty easily, top of everybody's list in some order, All-Star Orlando Arcia and All-Star Bryce Elder. Uh, which one of these do you feel like is a bigger surprise? Because both of them seem to not come out of nowhere, but would have been about the furthest thing from anything I could have predicted even back in spring training. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there that could have predicted uh, just how good those two have been and how important they've been, too. I mean, all Bryce Elder's done is come in and just solidified his spot. I mean, it, I think when he was called up, you know, they were just hoping he could fill a spot, and he mm-hmm. he, he took that opportunity, grabbed it, and ran with it, and now is an all-star. And then Orlando Arcia, I mean, he's proven me wrong every step of the way. I, I've had to admit it. You know, I was pretty up in arms when they made the decision to send down Von Grissom and Braden Shoemaker. I didn't understand it then. But credit Orlando Arcia. I mean, I've been one of these. I've I've looked back at his time with the Milwaukee Brewers, looked at those numbers, and I'm just thinking, you know, this just can't last, can't last. But something, you know, credit him for the hard work, credit the Braves for their player development because he's a different guy now. I don't know that he's going to hit 315, but he has been just exactly what they've needed. He's a calming influence on that infield with his shortstop defense, and he has come up with big hit after big hit, I don't know how many times, mm-hmm. you know, offensively. And I am I am really, really happy. Sometimes with the fan vote, and you just never know what's going to happen, you know, with all-star starters. But this is one situation here. I'm glad to see Orlando Arcia get that because he has worked his tail off to get to this opportunity. And I thought he was really deserving. You know, it was. it's not just that the Braves are good and they have great fans who vote a lot. If you stack up shortstops in the National League, I think it was Orlando Arcia that deserved to start. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, it's a pretty great story, and you're right. I mean, there's a synergy on that infield, both uh, defensively speaking. He works so well with Ozzie Albies. He's got that great infield arm, which certainly doesn't hurt. And then offensively, he's done a lot of things. that Whether he was going to hit 340 or not wasn't really the question. It was could he do the job every day, and he's certainly done that. Uh, The NL East is playing out a lot differently than we could have imagined back in spring training as well. The Mets have fallen as far back as 18 and a half games in the first half. I can't say I ever expected to see that much space between these two teams considering what they did last year head-to-head against one another, the money that was spent over the course of the offseason, and the hype machine that we were hearing that Atlanta was going to be lucky to hold off the New York Mets. That's not really a story as we roll into the All-Star break. So I guess as we look at the second half, you can't rule the Mets out of any chance of October. They have started to maybe find a few signs of life here. The Marlins have been a pretty good team. The Phillies have also been a pretty good team as well. 
The October picture we haven't set, but around the end of July, we like to set what the roster could start to look like in the terms of the trade deadline. What, if anything, do you feel like the Braves should be focused on that they need to make this the best team in baseball right now just that much better heading towards their October goal, which is the biggest goal of all? Well, one good thing about this surge, I mean, it's shown that, you know, they don't have that many glaring holes. You know, Alex Anthopoulos, I think he says that every year, you know, they're always looking for a a way to make the roster better. I think Mm -hmm. the bullpen is probably the easiest place. I mean, it seems like they trade for a reliever every single season. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked at all to see that. I think the starting pitching market's going to be interesting. Obviously, Max Fried starting a, a rehab assignment this weekend. You want to see how that goes. As we've seen, you never have enough pitching. I mean, hopefully you get Freed and right back. Hopefully they're effective. Hopefully they can stay healthy the rest of the way. Hopefully you don't lose anybody else. Because as we saw in the postseason last year, you know, the Braves were good all the way from May 30th to the end. And then one injury and one sickness from back Max Freed mm-hmm. pretty much derailed their postseason chances. So, you know, I think you just want to add depth at this point. And it's good that you're not going in thinking – Hey, we've got to trade for a left fielder in the middle, a middle of the lineup bat. It's really hard to put the pieces together to come up with something like that. Yeah, they're hard and they're expensive if you can get those kind of deals done. But the Braves don't appear to have to shop on, to use the old pun, every single aisle here at the trade deadline. They've done a pretty good job of shopping and locking together a pretty great starting lineup. A quality rotation that could get a little bit better with some injury reinforcements and the returns of Max Fried and perhaps Kyle Wright before too long. And of course, I think the bullpen has really turned the corner as well. But we'll see what Alex Antopoulos has up his sleeve at the trade deadline. Chris, I appreciate all your time. Look forward to chatting with you again soon at the ballpark and maybe back here on From the Diamond before too long. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. This was a lot of fun. When we come back, we'll take our trip around the big leagues to cover the biggest stories from across baseball from the last week. And we'll do it next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grant McCauley for more From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in. We embark on Hour 2 as we close out a great week for the Braves, a great half for the Braves, but also lots of stories brewing across Major League Baseball. And as you know, when we get to the halfway point, we got lots of festivities. All-Star Game festivities, they're happening in Seattle this year, which should be, I think, a lot of fun. Some of the nostalgia you're already seeing, I, I know it's just a kid of the 80s and 90s. I love when I see King Griffey Jr. walking around. I love when I see him involved with uh, however baseball is being marketed because you're talking about some of the most marketable athletes in baseball history. I think King Griffey Jr. is way up there because back in my day, which is not a thing I was saying back in my 20s and 30s, it was pretty cool to go ahead and turn that cap around and just kind of feel like King Griffey Jr. for a moment as you're taking a little batting practice or maybe just playing some wiffle ball in the backyard. I mean, the kid was where it's at. He's still where it's at. And the All-Star Game is out in Seattle. And so uh, as we look at the All-Star Game and, and the different I don't know, evolutions and incarnations we've seen of it, not just in baseball but in some other sports, I still feel like baseball does have the best representation of its sport for an exhibition like this. And we've seen, obviously, what's happened to the Pro Bowl in the NFL. I'm just going to leave that one off to the side. That was not a real great you know, representation of what you would see on Sundays in the National Football League. And then you look at hockey, I think, and the NBA, of course, as more of offensive exhibitions. Defense is not necessarily required to be a part of the All-Star game in those sports. And as I look at baseball, you still got nine guys. You got three outs and the opportunity to you know, basically present the game as it was, even if you're making a lot of changes, even if you're starting pitchers, not trying to go as deep into the game as possible, you have stacked rosters. You have the opportunity to, 
I think, take the allure of having some of the star players from all 30 teams and some of the players who are just having maybe the best season of their life and put them all out there on the field. But once interleague play entered the conversation back in the 90s, and once you saw clubs change leagues the way the Astros and the Brewers did, I think that over time, it's kind of broken down that wall there was between the American League and the National League and the allure that was involved in meeting these two teams or these players all being on the same field at the same time because prior to that, obviously, you had the World Series. I mean, spring training is whatever, but the World Series is where the American League and the National League did battle. Otherwise, you got this one exhibition in the middle of the summer, and it was kind of cool to see it because it was novel, but I think that baseball, maybe other sports, and I was reading a little bit up on this because I've heard it from a lot of different places, and I've been hearing it really since the 90s and since interleague play came into the equation and before for whatever reason, Major League Baseball felt that the World Series home field advantage should hang in the balance of this exhibition game in the middle of July. That never should have been a thing. That was called an overcorrection for the tie back in 2002. But putting that aside, I mean, the Futures game happened on Sunday, and I feel like that gives us what, and again, the NBA might be trending in this direction. We'll see. I don't know. The World Team versus the U.S. Team. Team USA versus Team World, however you want to phrase that whole deal. That's how they do the Futures game and the All-Star festivities. And I think kind of even hearkening back to what we were seeing back in March, how much fun was the World Baseball Classic this year? What if you could bottle that kind of fun and maybe have that in the middle of the summer for one game? I think that'd be pretty cool. But And I'm a more of a traditionalist in a lot of different things, but you know, I also recognize and accept that the game's going to evolve and move in directions that I didn't choose for it to. We got free base runners on base and extra innings. I don't love that. I'll tell you that right now. I'm open to the idea of the pitch clock and the timer that we've needed because games were getting a little bit longer than they needed to be. I don't really mind these new bases and stolen base rules and regulations. I don't mind banning the shift or at least limiting the shift a lot in order to have a little bit more competitive balance. All those things are fine, but I was wondering if there is maybe a change you can make to the All-Star game that might inject a little bit more fun into it and piggybacking on what the Futures game has been doing for a long time where the best players in the U.S. face the best players from all over the world, the top prospects in all the organizations, it's a cool concept. It's not unique to baseball. Again, other sports have doing it. I think hockey already does it. But it would just be interesting, I think, to maybe trend in that direction where the United States team and the world team square off. And if it's anything like what those World Baseball Classic games were, I mean, those Latin American countries, they are hungry to win that game. Uh, team Japan, obviously, ultra-talented. Team USA has, and I think that they have found out as they've gone along, mess around and find out, the rest of the world really wanted to win the World Baseball Classic, even if Team USA was kind of halfway in, halfway out, which is a terrible place to be and live in life. But they cared an awful lot about it in 2023, and I thought it showed. And I thought it was fun getting all the way down to that finale where it came down to Shohei Otani and Mike Trout squaring off. What if we could have that kind of thing in the middle of the summer? So I guess what I'm saying is, could we have a Team USA versus the world format in the All-Star game? Would you like to see that? Would it be fun? Those are the kind of things I like to ask myself, and you know, feel free to chime in on Twitter at Grant McCauley is where you can find me. We'll have this conversation throughout the course of the week because I think it bears repeating and it's kind of a fun time to talk about it. Or are you really stuck to the idea of American League versus National League? Are you somebody who doesn't watch baseball for four days and doesn't care until their team gets back to playing in the games that actually count? I don't know. I think there's a, a lot to go around in this conversation, but just a little something that I was kind of kicking around. Now, the Home Run Derby is happening in a very interesting group of sluggers going to square off on Monday night. Up in Seattle, you're going to have first-round matchups between Luis Robert Jr. He is the number one seed. He'll be facing Adley Rutschman. So White Sox versus Orioles there. A couple of great young players. 
Pete Alonso of the Mets is the number two seed. He'll face Julio Rodriguez, the hometown kid of the Mariners. Then you got Mookie Betts, number three seed of the Dodgers, against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays, the sixth seed. And Adolis Garcia, number four seed of the Texas Rangers, RBI leader in all of baseball. He'll be facing Randy Rosarena, one of the most exciting, and I think you could see in the World Baseball Classic, you know, really fired up players that you can find. And he can hit some home runs, too. He of the Tampa Bay Rays. So that's your bracket for the home run derby. I think in the same way that I would ask, you know, how much do you care about the All-Star game in the format? How much do you care about the home run derby? I think a lot of people kind of ask around this time of year. I enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. But I will kind of stipulate that for a little while, it seemed like the home run derby kind of overshadowed the All-Star game itself in the headlines and the, you know, maybe some of the battles and storylines that came out of that. I mean, if you ask me who won the All-Star game three years ago, I would have to look it up. I honestly don't know. And so that's kind of the way it goes. But if you ask me, what's your favorite home run derby memory? I can start talking about, oh, well, 1993 and King Griffey Jr. hit the warehouse in Baltimore and what Josh Hamilton did in 2008. There's just a lot of memories that come with that home run derby that maybe overshadows some of the more recent All-Star game history. But there have also been some great All-Star game moments. And the good thing is we get a little bit of both. It'll be happening Monday and Tuesday, home run derby on Monday. And then on Tuesday, you get the All-Star game itself. Speaking of great stars in the game, maybe stars in the making or Maybe just flat out a star since the moment he set foot on a Major League Baseball field. Let's talk about Ellie De La Cruz. And I got a little bit of audio here that I want you to hear because this is one of the most exciting players in baseball already, bar none. And he's not even been in the big leagues for a full calendar year yet. In fact, it's just about a calendar month at this point. But Ellie De La Cruz, one of the most exciting players in the league already, and it's taken no time for him to do that. On Saturday, though, something he did was relatively unprecedented, unheard of, at least for me, uncommon. Let's put it that way. Somebody's done it before. But he stole three bases in the span of two pitches. Take a listen to this. De La Cruz goes. Pitch called a strike. Throw down on a skip late. Another steal for Ellie De La Cruz. That's his 14th swipe caught just twice in the show. He takes off again. Pitch down and in. Fame throw. There's no chance. Well, Two steals. De La Cruz had already looked a couple of times at Brian Anderson knowing that if he got a jump, he's going home! The throw! He stole home! The most thrilling man in baseball stole second, third, <laughs> and home! The most thrilling man in baseball. you got to do some serious heavy lifting in a short amount of time to get that kind of uh, title, if we want to call it that at this point. But that was the uh, Bally Sports North and the very excited Reds broadcast to see that. But in two pitches... This guy, well, he singled, and then he stole second, stole third because nobody was covering it. We've seen that in the Ronald Acuna Jr. playbook. And then decided, while Elvis Piguero of the uh, Brewers was not extremely excited about those two stolen bases, well, he decided to make it three stolen bases. Straight steal of home immediately after that. Uh, Piguero got booed off the mound. Meanwhile, for De La Cruz, this is just more of what he has been known for over the first few weeks of his career. He is the first player in the last 50 years to steal three bases in a single plate appearance. The last player to steal all three bases just in the same inning was John Birdie of the New York Mets. So I said unprecedented a little bit earlier. You know, three bases in one inning is, is not uncommon. It does happen. Not very often, but it does happen. But it takes 50 years to steal them in the same plate appearance, let alone on back-to-back pitches. I mean, this kid is just a special player. The Reds were 27-33 and 33 when De La Cruz was called up. They were floundering. Their season was going nowhere. They're 23-7 and seven since with a two-game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers heading into Sunday. So a lot of things have gone right since Ellie De La Cruz has stepped onto a baseball field for the Reds. We saw him hit for the cycle against the Braves in a crazy comeback win up in Cincinnati not too long ago. So what an exciting kid. 
Another exciting thing that went on this week across Major League Baseball was the Tigers throwing a combined no-hitter, first one in franchise history, second no-hitter of the 2023 season, you might recall. There was a perfect game just last week. But, yeah, this one was Matt Manning, six and two-thirds innings before he was pulled. He couldn't figure out why he was getting booed. He also didn't realize that he had a no-hitter going, and then he realized it was H.A. Hinch, the manager of the Tigers, that was getting booed. The crowd stopped booing for Matt Manning, cheered him, and then when Hinch left after giving the ball to Jason Foley, who pitched the next inning in a third before giving way to Alex Lang to close it out, Hinch got booed on his way back to the dugout. But I'm sure that Tigers fans enjoyed the no-hitter, a 2 nothing win over the Toronto Blue Jays, 20th combined no-hitter in Major League Baseball history, ninth no-hitter that belongs to the Detroit Tigers, though first of the combined nature. And we know the Tigers could have another no-hitter, could have a perfect game were they to have gotten the Galarraga perfecto quite a few years ago, but we'll leave that one alone. And one other little piece of business from this week. Unfortunate as it is, it's All-Star Week, and Mike Trout's not going to be able to take part in that, and he's going to be out at least a month, maybe two, after breaking the hammock bone in his left hand, fouling a pitch back in Monday's game against the Padres. And I don't know what this does for the Angels' chances of contending in the second half. They have kind of hit a slide of late. And I think it brings up that question that Perry Manassian and the Angels and Artie Moreno are all going to have to ask themselves, do we cash out on Shohei Otani at the trade deadline, or do we stand pat, try to make a run to October, and try to sign this guy and, and, and bring him back? Because if, if you trade him away, I'm going to say this, I think it's very unlikely that Shohei Otani is going to say, you know where I want to go now is back to the Angels. He's going to test that free agent market. And as I talked about many times on this show, it is going to be some kind of derby for Shohei Otani once he does hit free agency. Well, we got all kinds of other things to talk about before we get out of here for the uh, final time in the first half. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at one of the Braves' NL East rivals, the surprising second-place Miami Marlins. Craig Mish will join me to discuss coming up next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, more From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We continue our trip around the big leagues, but we're going to keep it right here in the National League East to talk about one of the big surprises of the first half. That, of course, is the Miami Marlins, the second-place club in this division. To help me out with that, I want to welcome Craig Mish into the show. Craig, I think this has been an exciting summer down in Miami and a lot of things to look forward to, I think, out in front of this Marlins club as well. Hey, Grant. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's rare air right now for the Marlins and for me to be covering a team that's doing so well and through a halfway point of the season regardless of what happens against the Phillies this weekend Miami's going to be in the best position they've been heading into the all-star break in many many years so yeah to say that it's been an interesting and fun ride uh, that would be an understatement I don't think there could be any complaints with how the Marlins have played so far Grant that's for sure. Now let's dive into what exactly has been going on for him because as we round out this first half in the National League East it's looking very different than we were led to believe over the course of the winter because yeah the Braves are the Braves and there's been a little bit of head-to-head discrepancy between Atlanta and Miami but maybe the best version yet of this Braves team against a not-so-great version of the Mets, and it's the Marlins who have risen in this division, enhancing their postseason chances, and they've given themselves, I think, a reason to believe that there are some things that they could accomplish with, I think, a young and a hungry group with a new manager as well. It just kind of feels like a new dawn down in Miami. Does that kind of cover a little bit, at least, of what's been going on this first 85 or 90 games? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the Marlins learned a lot about themselves in the first half of the season from a positive Uh, What they've learned is that teams that are not as good as them, they are going to beat up on, and they've done it all season long. They've had no issue whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And and let me give them some credit. You know, they beat Arizona four out of six this season. They went to Los Angeles and beat the Angels 
So they beat all the bad teams. They beat some of the good teams. And they've shown so much fight in coming back in games that they did not show in the last couple of years, Grant. They just they would be trailing games late, and that would be it. There was just no reason to stay tuned. But they've been putting the ball in play a lot more. And because of that, some wacky things have happened with the outcomes of some of their games in late. So that's very positive in, mm-hmm. in that sense. Now, you know, obviously there's a flip side to everything. And even with them being double-digit games over 500. You know, the negative is they're not in the Braves class. And we've learned that in the first half of the season. And we learned that last year, too. Uh, you know, so, you know, maybe they're not a division team this year. I think that's that's fair to say. But there's no reason why they can't compete for the wild card, I believe, the rest of the season. And you mentioned something that's very interesting, because if we did this this discussion a week ago, I think everything that you've said is accurate. But all of a sudden, let's hold on. The Phillies out of nowhere, like last year, look exactly like the Phillies from a year ago. Yeah, The Mets, out of nowhere, this guy has a press conference to say that maybe we're going to dismantle the team. I don't believe him for a second. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden, here they are. They're winning a bunch of games in a row, Grant. So let's let's see what the second half of the season you know, has to be. And, and again, Miami's still in a great spot, and they're going to control their own destiny the rest of the season. I believe if they just play 500 baseball the rest of the season, they're going to make it. But that could be a tall order if Philly and if the Mets continue to play like they played right up until this all-star break. Uh, What do you think has changed for this club overall? And I mean, obviously there's a lot, but at the top, Skip Schumacher stepped in as a manager. What kind of difference in tone and direction has he brought to this team? He's been a major reason, and a lot of the decisions that he's made in-game have been fantastic. Again, trying to win every game, even when... You know, they're down three or down four, still playing to try and win. I don't know, Grant, in the end, what the manager gets over the course of the season, plus minus. Is it two wins? Is it three? I mean, inevitably, it's the players that are going to do it. But there's no question that he has changed the mentality in the clubhouse where these guys, even though the games are late and they're down, they believe they could come back. That was not the case a year ago. So in the end, that's a piece of the puzzle and a very big one, I believe. But the bigger piece is the players. And the player, Grant, that obviously all the Braves fans know that carried them to the World Series and beyond, that the Marlins signed that offseason to a three-year contract, uh, Jorge Soler, mm-hmm. who did absolutely nothing in the first year of that contract, and fans were had had it and said, what a bust, and he can't play. Grant, I don't know what happened to him this offseason. Maybe because he can opt out at the end of the year and cash in. I don't know. But this guy's an all-star. Uh, I, I know his you know, June and July wasn't as good as his April and May, but they banked Grant all those wins in April and May. Those yep. wins count, just yep. like all the other wins at the end. And this guy, every time they needed a big hit, delivered a huge home run. Some would say Luis Arise is the MVP of the team. He's been fantastic. That was a great acquisition for them. They traded Pablo Lopez for him. Yep. And, and, and by the way, Arise is great, and he's an all-star. But Soler is hitting him over the fence with Arise on base. And that really, to me, Grant, is the key to how, and they're pitching too, but how Miami came back in so many games. Solaire's resurgence this season, and he's making the All-Star game, has been a huge reason why. Whether he does it in the second half, that still remains to be seen. But they simply got something this year that they did not get from him last year. Yeah, it's more than an X factor. It is a tangible factor to have that kind of threat in your lineup. And I can tell you this from the Atlanta perspective, Jorge Soler will always hold a very special place, a lot of Braves fans' hearts. And I think there were people even last year 
they were trying to figure out a way maybe to get him back from Miami and plug him back into the 2022 Braves. But putting that aside, since all of that didn't happen, it's more or less fan fiction. It's great to see him start thriving in the second year of that deal with this Marlins club that seems to have this new identity, seems to have a newfound confidence as well, which can come with adding some key pieces beyond Solaire. You mentioned Arise, a lot of talented young pitchers for this club. Um, as a, a chat with uh, Craig Mish here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. He joins me on the waitfor.com hotline. He, of course, has covered the Marlins for years and years. You can follow him on Twitter at Craig Mish is where you can find him. Uh, those talented pitchers, uh, we can talk about what this Marlins team gets from them, but it hasn't all been smooth sailing because Sandy Alcantara, while he looks like Sandy Alcantara to me from the pure stuff perspective, the results are not what anybody expected. So I guess the question is, What's going on with Sandy Alcantara in 2023? I think a lot of it is upstairs. I think missing spots, not putting the ball where it's supposed to be, maybe pitch selection. Uh, also, I don't think it has been anything physical with him whatsoever. Uh, you know, if, if you want me to make excuses for the guy, I can. I'm, he would not make excuses. But, you know, realistically speaking, what I believe happened is I believe Sandy pitched a ton of innings last season as much or more than any pitcher in Major League Baseball. Uh, he, he, what was his break, Grant? His break, his break was winning the Cy Young. His mm -hmm. break was going to the Dominican Republic and getting the Cy Young. His break was pitching in the World Baseball. This guy has not had a break. Yep. And we're all human. And and, I, and he, now he's going to get his break. And I think he's going to come back in the second half of the season and he's going to be very good. But this dude has not had any time off. And it feels like he's been pitching year-round. And I think it's taken a mental toll on him. We've seen him uncharacteristically get upset on the mound in games. You never saw this guy get upset with anything that had happened. Even the team wouldn't score runs for him or he'd make one mistake. And I just think that stuff snowballed. I've seen him much better his last couple of starts. He'll take a breather. I think he'll be much better in the second half of the season, without a doubt. And, and to me, that's the best explanation that I could give you. Because, again, Grant, it, and from what I am told, and led to believe there is absolutely nothing physical that has happened to him all season long. And so, uh, you know, going through the steps in the process, that's what, what I come to. Watching him pitch against the Braves about a week ago at Truist Park, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the arsenal. He looked extremely good, and I know there's some familiarity between those two clubs, and the Braves have gotten to him a time or two, but that's kind of who the Braves are at some point during the season. They get to just about everybody, it feels like. And I think with Alcantara as well, there might have been a pressure that is added on to not just being the Cy Young Award winner, sure. but having to be the ace of the staff all of a sudden and be the guy that everybody looks to that can just add a little bit of pressure to maybe be a little bit too perfect. But there's a lot of baseball left for him to turn his season around. As you mentioned, a break could certainly do him a world of good. Uh, he had some reinforcements in the person of Uri Perez, who's a standout rookie. Uh, he might have gotten lit up by the Braves, but very few other teams got to him in his time thus far. You reported that the Marlins are optioning him back to the minor leagues. I think they're in the hopes of managing his load, managing his innings for this year. Uh, what's the general feeling around the club? Because it's hard to willingly take a big piece of your success off the roster and rein it back just when it feels like a lot of things are coming together for this Marlins team. Yeah, I think it will become more of a national story. Again, when you have a pitcher that's 20 years old doing things that no one has done maybe since Dwight Gooden or, or even going you know so far back in history to see this kind of success. But the other part of that, Grant, is that making comparisons from Yuri Perez to other players, maybe George Kirby, who Seattle was very careful with too, there really are no comparisons because Yuri Perez, Grant, pitched 77 innings 
in totality in 2022 and no more than that the year before and no more than that the year before that. So what so it is uncharted territory here for an organization dealing with a situation that they didn't even think that they would be dealing with. The Marlins had no intention whatsoever of calling this kid up in May at the beginning of the season. None. They had went out in the offseason and they had signed Johnny Cueto and they knew they had Braxton Garrett coming Mm -hmm. back, too. And they thought, wow, even without Pablo Lopez, we have six or seven guys and we can even dip further if need be. But best plans, as they say, go out the window pretty quickly, as they do on all major league teams. The Braves saw that, too. Max Fried, Kyle Wright. I mean, you you can never plan on these pitchers being healthy over the course of the season. So did Miami think they'd lose three guys? Probably not. They call up Yuri Perez. They think, okay, we'll start him a little in May, maybe a little in June. And, you know, second week in June, we'll send him back to the minors. And then, you know, maybe he'll be okay. Maybe we'll use him in the second half of the season. Well, everyone gets hurt. This guy's the best pitcher on the team. He's the best rookie pitcher in baseball. Now what do you do? We keep rolling, keep rolling, keep rolling. Let's send him down after this start. Okay, he pitches great again. Let's send him down after the next start. Okay, pitches great again. And it just, the ball just, it steamrolled to the point where no one in the organization could really decide what to do. So they just kept him up for this entire time until the start against the Braves. And I believe that when he started against the Braves after that start, had it gone as planned, five innings, three runs, two runs, something along those lines, Grant, I believe they would have sent him down and that would have been it. But he only threw two thirds of an inning and he got pounded. So they brought him back and let him pitch against the Cardinals. Inevitably, What I'm trying to say, and I hope people get this conveyed, is that no one could possibly have a plan when something like this happens for a player. It does remind me a little bit of Steven Strasburg with the Nationals, but Grant, Strasburg threw so many college innings. Mm -hmm. Like There's just a huge difference between everybody else and Yuri Perez. I believe the Marlins are doing the very best they can with the situation. It is not easy, and I do not envy Kim Ng to have to be in this position and I understand there's a lot of different sides that you could play with this, I think he'll be back in the second half of the season at some point. Will that be in July? It uh, doesn't feel like it right now if they're you know stopping him or at least pausing him to some degree. But I do believe if Miami is in it, he comes back and pitches with them in August and September. Yeah, and maybe that opportunity to pause. I mean, I, I mentioned this to Peter Pratt, a buddy of mine who, who does the Locked On Marlins mm-hmm. podcast. I said, look, maybe you save some of these bullets for October because the Marlins, I mean, they've got a legitimate chance here. And I know while it throttling back right now might feel one kind of way, there is a long game to be played here. And Erie Perez could be a very big player, a very key component to what the Marlins would like to accomplish in the second half. And kind of to piggyback on what you said about Sandy, like not getting a break, maybe giving Perez a little bit of a breather in the middle of the season will kind of be like a, a mini offseason for him and be able to have him reset and fresh and able to throw those innings uh, when the Marlins could really use him. Uh, I want to wrap up with this as we wrap up the month of July here in a couple of weeks. We know the Marlins could do some buying at the trade deadline this year. What do you expect them to focus on and just how busy might they be? Yeah, it's really hard to answer the question now. It's not what you want to hear or anybody listening on the fan wants to hear either. I get it. Uh, But the way that I've described this to people as the trading deadline is happening, at least where we stand right now, this is going to change in two weeks. The Cardinals are going to decide, forget it. The White Sox are going to decide, forget it. Maybe the Tigers do, too. But for every fan base that feels like the Marlins or feels like the Braves, if you go to the other coast, there's fans that are feeling the exact same way. What what am I getting at here? There's 22 teams that are still in this thing. They added a third wild card to the mix. 
And that's great for parity. It makes it impossible to buy because there are no sellers. So Miami would love to get another catcher. They would love to, you know, if Gene Segura doesn't hit it all, which he hasn't, they'd love to upgrade at third base and they probably need to get another outfielder. And now who knows? Maybe they need a relief pitcher. Their relievers have been breaking down and blowing some saves. They could use that too. They could use an outfielder as well. So uh, they're, they're pro- I think every team, Grant, the Braves are in a different position. Tampa Bay is in a different position, maybe even the Yankees and some others. But the teams that really need the help, I got to say I'm a little concerned because they're going to be battling it out with all the other teams that really need the help. So for me, if you're willing to take on some money, I think you're in a good spot. I do think Miami's willing to take on some money here. Maybe for the rest of this season at the very least, that could put – uh, you know, a team like the Marlins in a, or maybe even the Reds in a beneficial position, the teams with the payrolls that aren't in the 170 with 200 range already, where they could just be like, all right, just give us this guy. We'll eat the money the rest of the year, but we get a good player. Uh, but I, I think catcher third base outfield, like everybody else, they're going to be fighting. And I think come August 1st, we'll have a much better idea as to where we are. I understand fans are impatient everywhere and they want deals to get done. But I can tell you from speaking to people in the industry, out even out way outside of the Marlins, everyone still feels, Grant, they have a shot. They're all, you know who they're pointing to? They're pointing to the Reds. Mm-hmm. If the Reds can win 11 games in a row without Hunter Green, without Nick Lodolo, just by calling this kid up and winning, why can't we? And yeah. that's the way that they view it. You, any team you call says, hey, if we were the Tigers, right, Grant? Hey, six games in a row, we're in the division. So how can they sell their fans on selling right now? They can't. Yeah, it's a great point, and I've made this point about the American League Central for a couple of years now. It may not be that anybody really wants it, but somebody's got to win that division, and the Tigers could be that team. That's a really great point. Uh, Craig Mish, appreciate all of your time, and look forward to catching up with you again soon. All right, Grant. It's great to catch up with you. Thanks for having me. We'll turn our attention back to the Atlanta Braves and wrap up this first half and head on into the All-Star break next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I love baseball. Now back to more Grant McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Wrapping up the first half of the Major League Baseball season on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we put the finishing touches on this week's show, and of course, what was another memorable week for the Atlanta Braves. They just keep on winning. A couple of more series in the books for them. 11 consecutive winning series as Atlanta just went on a tear uh, 27-6 and to close out the first half. Just an unbelievable run of baseball for the Atlanta Braves. We turn our focus, of course, back to this Atlanta club, which is going to get a few days off, but eight men are heading to the All-Star game. So they're going to have a little bit of fun, just a stopover in Seattle and then the Braves will get back in action to start the second half against the Chicago White Sox on Friday. But we got so many other things I want to get to, notes and stats and paces and just fun facts, if you want to call them that, if nothing else, about how the Braves did all this winning in the first half. I mentioned 11 consecutive series that they have won, the best record in baseball, first team to 60 wins. Uh, one of the best first halves in franchise history came just one win shy of matching the 2003 club for most wins before the All-Star break. But you look up and down the lineup, you'll find some reasons why. At the top of the lineup, you'll find perhaps the biggest reason why. His name is Ronald Acuna Jr. I like to save the best for last in a lot of cases. And this is one of those things on this show. Maybe the last segment as we wrap up this first half. But what Ronald Acuna Jr. did this first half uh, was absolutely bonkers. You know, and I talked about it earlier, the 40-40 tracker that I like to keep over on Twitter. You can follow me there at Grant McCauley. We got 41 steals on that tracker. 
We got 21 homers on that tracker, but I wanted to do the pace over 162 games for what Ronald Acuna Jr. is lined up to do. The Braves played 89 games in the first half, going 60-29, and 29, with Ronald Acuna Jr. playing every one of those 89 games. You want me to give you a stat that's going to tell you that the Braves are where they need to be and equipped to win a game? Ronald Acuna Jr. playing every day, playing all 89 games. That's a pretty good stat. That's a great trend. Over the course of 162, though, the paces for Ron Lacuna Jr., 39 home runs, 75 stolen bases. If you're counting for 40-40, uh, well, he's uh, pretty much lined up to do just that. He could go on another home run binge and push well beyond that 40 homer. He's been on the pace of 40-40 or better for quite a while, most of the month of June, as a matter of fact. As the Braves' leadoff hitter, incredibly, he's on pace to knock in 100 runs. You get 100 RBI out of your leadoff spot. You've got one of the best lineups in baseball, and the Braves most certainly have that. He's also leading Major League Baseball with 79 runs scored. That is a pace for 144 runs scored over the course of 162. 217 hit pace, 46 doubles, 80 walks would also be a career high. Might not sound like that much, but when you put 80 walks with 217 hits, you get on base about 300 times in a season. I'm going to tell you, you're living right. Only 89 strikeouts is the pace for Ronald Acuna Jr. And think about that for a minute. You go back and look at his 2019 season, and it was a good one. I mean, he was flirting with 40-40, came three stolen bases short in his first full year in the big leagues, coming off being the NL Rookie of the Year in 2018. He struck out 189 times. So somewhere in the midst of all of this, despite the fact that he's going to have the most played appearances, perhaps in the National League, maybe all of baseball, we'll find out. He's only going to strike out 89 times in the 2023 version of Major League Baseball. And you're going to get this kind of power and production and on base? That's rare company right there. That's an MVP candidate. And in doing so, you might be curious if you're one of the more like, you know, current up-to-date fans about, okay, well, he's going to have a pretty good wins above replacement, is he not? 9.4 F-war season. A replacement player. That's a zero war. Negative we've talked about from time to time because some players, they get into a slump and they just kind of, they are what they are. Ron Lacuna Jr., though, a bad year is like a two-war season, which means he's two wins better than the next-level replacement player. Just a league-average player. Ron Lacuna Jr. is basically running on a nine-win season. The stolen bases, the things he's doing with his arm, I think his defense is a little bit better than he's getting credit for. I know that occasionally there's going to be an error here or there. He's not going to make every play. He may not be the greatest of all fielders, but I think he's certainly capable, and that arm is a definite weapon. You put it all together, what you've got is just, I think, the best all-around offensive player in all of Major League Baseball, and it's just not even really that close. I know there's some other players having some big seasons. Some of them are even in the Braves' lineup, but for Ronald Acuna Jr. to put all this together in the five-tool player variety and and category, it's been something to watch, and this guy could be joining uh, the Braves' MVP club by the end of this season. Uh, No Braves are going to be in the home run derby, as we talked about long balls a little bit earlier. I mean, this is a club that has hit the most home runs in Major League Baseball history in the first half. 169 of those on pace for over 310 home runs as a club. They've got the National League home run leader in Matt Olson, And then they've got Ronald Cooney Jr. who's on pace for a 40 home run season just about himself. But they're not going to be in the home run derby this year. I talked about that field a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, Matt Olson politely declined was how it was described. And Ronald Cooney Jr. also passed. So Ronald did say that in the future, he'd love to jump back into it. He just wanted to give some other guys the opportunity to enjoy the experience as well. And you could tell Ronald loves the home run derby. And if he didn't bring somebody to Dodger Stadium last year that insisted on throwing him some of the worst or the sharpest sliders and cutters I've ever seen, maybe he would have had a better chance. But he was pitched really tough in the home run derby last year, so wasn't able to bring it home. But either way, 
the home runs that the Braves have been hitting over the course of the first half has felt a lot like a home run derby. And while I know it's fun to root for, you know, have a rooting interest maybe a little bit more so in that derby, I think it shows the commitment these guys have to utilizing their break and just enjoying the game a little bit and enjoying the festivities up in Seattle and then coming on home and getting that second half started. So you got Monday's home run derby, Tuesday's all-star game, off day Wednesday, off day Thursday, and then back to work on Friday for the Atlanta Braves. Speaking of all-stars, Spencer Strider, another great performance on Saturday, 11 more strikeouts for him. Major league lead with 166 punchouts. He's done all of that in 104 and a third innings. That's an absurd strikeout per nine. I went back and looked. Had he not come out for the seventh inning and not recorded a strikeout and just getting the one more out, it was a fly ball, he would have finished with the best strikeouts per nine by a qualified starting pitcher in the first half in Major League Baseball history. As it is, he finishes one one-hundredth of a point behind Jacob deGrom, who in 2021 was kind of a cheat code himself. Strider threw about 10 more innings, struck out more batters, but deGrom has the edge on him in Ks per nine. 14.28 strikeouts per nine. This is a starting pitcher, by the way. You see this from closers from time to time, the really dominant ones, but for a starting pitcher to have this, it's nuts. But 4.28 Ks per nine for DeGrom, 4.27 for Spencer Strider, who again is a major league strikeout leader at the All-Star break with 166. And he also is on track for, I think, a Braves record, which is perfectly within his reach if you look at it. John Smoltz struck out 100. And 49 batters in 134 innings before the All-Star break. Strider broke that a couple of starts ago. Well, Smoltz was in route to setting the single-season strikeout record for the Braves with 276 and won the Cy Young in 1996. Spencer Strider, I think, only needs 70 more innings to pass John Smoltz in strikeouts for the season. And if he pitches, I think it's 90 more innings total, which will bring him up to about 194 for the season. I mean, we could be talking about a 300-strikeout season. And we may be talking about a 300-strikeout season. We'll find out in September. But if Spencer Strider continues to strike out batters at the rate of over 14 per nine, there could be a lot of special things, special records, uh, that could be set by this young right-hander. But those are a couple that jumped out to me, and a big reason why. He is an all-star. Uh, lowered the ERA, down under three and a half with the six and a third innings of shutout ball against the Rays. Uh, again, 11 more strikeouts, so another double-digit strikeout night. Ho-hum. Spencer Strider. If you were worried about him three weeks ago when he had those back-to-back bad starts, I think he's made some corrections. We've seen it in the velocity. We've seen it in the break of that slider. We've seen opposing lineups just baffled as they head back to the dugout. A lot of U-turns in the last handful of starts for Spencer. He seems to be back on the right track and trending pretty well as he gets ready to go up to Seattle as one of eight Braves All-Star representatives. So Strider in 70 innings could break John Smoltz's record if the pace holds. It's 84 innings that he needs at 14.28 strikeouts per nine to get to a 300-strikeout season. I knew I wrote this down somewhere. Be that as it may, Spencer Strider is a special pitcher. You heard it here. Maybe not first, but you're going to hear it here often, so I'll throw that out there. Speaking of special pitchers and all-stars, Max Freed was back in action on Sunday. First rehab start for the AAA Gwinnett Stripers. I thought it went pretty well. Low pitch count because this is basically spring training, folks. He's going to have to build it back up from the very low level of Well, when you go out for that first spring training start, you throw a couple of innings, about 30, 35 pitches. It was 35 for Max on Sunday, though. He felt good, I think. Inning in the third, scoreless ball, one hit, two walks, a strikeout. He picked a runner off, doing Max free things. Now I think that next start, maybe you see that pitch count go up to 45 to 50. Then maybe the one after that, you're starting to push 65 to 75, and maybe one more beyond. I feel like we're in the probably four rehab start territory 
maybe the fifth if they need it. But if they get the pitch count up and they find a matchup that they like toward the end of the month or the first week of August, maybe you forego that final rehab start and just kind of bring him back in, just ease him back, and just have him in your starting rotation to finish that off. But the good thing is the Braves' AAA team is right here in the metro Atlanta area, so you're able to have Max Reed real close, let him go through some of these progressions, some of these starts, and just feeling healthy. Uh, velocity from what I saw, 94 to 96 miles an hour. Again, picked up a strikeout, ending in a third. You know, not huge headlines, but you walk out of that healthy, get ready for that next one in five days, and just continue to work your way back. And it's just amazing to me, and I know I've talked about this a lot over the course of the year, that the Braves are sitting on the best record in baseball at 60 and 29, and Max Fried has started five games this season. And I talked to Chris Willis of uh, Battery Power a little bit earlier, and I said, what if I told you you get 10 starts out of Max Fried and Kyle Wright in the first half? Where do you think the Braves are? And his answer is the same as mine. If they're at 500, then maybe they're pretty lucky. Uh, but, you know, this has been a very special first half for the Braves. Their offense has been able to be a driving force, and the pitching staff has really adopted that next-man-up mentality. And Bryce Elder was a huge part of that. And I know we're sitting here on Sunday after he gave up seven runs to the Tampa Bay Rays and kind of you could hang your head a little bit about that if you want to. I would say maybe not. I mean, you're going to have some bad starts. Everybody is. But this is the first time all season in, what, 17, 18 starts for Bryce Elder that he failed to reach at least five innings. It was a career high in, in runs allowed, a season high in runs allowed, season high in walks as well. But overall, I mean, you look at the body of work for what Bryce Elder did in your first half, and he was the one that was called upon when Max Fried landed on the injured list the first time. And you thought, okay, well, maybe if Bryce Elder can hold the fort for about three weeks, it'll help us out. But when things weren't going so well for Jared Schuster and for Dylan Dodd, Bryce Elder got the chance to hang around, and all he did was become a quality start machine. I think it was 12 of the 17 starts he had made coming into Sunday. He had tossed at least six innings. I mean, that's just the consistency that the Braves needed, and then some out of a guy that was looked upon as a fifth starter candidate and who was optioned to the minor leagues in the middle of March and who was the opening day starter for a AAA team and is now jumping on a flight with his buddies and heading on out to Seattle as one of eight Atlanta Braves All-Stars. He's opted not to pitch in the game, nor is Spencer Strider's worth pointing that out. They're just going to go enjoy that game, much like I talked about with the home run derby for you know Matt Olson or uh, Ron Lacuna Jr. not taking part in that. You can go enjoy. You can go watch it. I know Sean Murphy said, I'm one of the things I'm really looking forward to is the home run derby and sitting on the field and being able to watch it like that. Because as a kid, Sean Murphy, like a lot of us, watched that thing on TV and thought, man, that'd be cool. I'd like to sit out there and watch that. Well, now he gets to do that, and that's kind of the beauty of baseball. It connects us, a lot of ages, lots of dreams, lots of different things that kind of come full circle. And this all-star thing's a cool honor. It may not be the biggest honor you can get. It may not be what the Braves are hanging their hat on, and it's certainly not. And I know Sean Murphy said uh, a week or so ago, we played the sound for you on the show, Hey, if my success is in line with the team's success, then that's just a bonus. And that's a pretty good way to look at it. And the Braves have had a lot of team success. They've got those eight all-stars. The entire infield is heading out there with Sean Murphy. you got Ozzie Albies. you got Orlando Arcia. you got Austin Riley. you got Matt Olson. you got two Braves pitchers and Spencer Strider and Bryce Elder. And you got Ronald Acuna Jr., who got the most votes of anybody for the all-star game this year. Pretty cool to uh, close out your first half with eight all-stars and the best record in Major League Baseball. But your big goals right out in front of you. Home Run Derby happens on Monday. All-Star Game is happening on Tuesday. Two off days, Wednesday and Thursday. Then it's Friday against the Chicago White Sox. Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon at Truist Park. So the Braves will be off for a little while, and hopefully they come out and just pick up right where they left off. It's been an incredible run for the Atlanta Braves to close out this first half of baseball. Speaking of closing out, that'll close us out here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley. Really appreciate Garrett Chapman, all his help, and keeping this show going and uh, producing 
uh, on this fine afternoon. And uh, appreciate you guys checking the show out. As always, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find me on the Odyssey app. Follow along on social media. And if you need links for any and everything, you can find them at fromthediamond.com. Looking forward to catching up with you guys in the second half as the Braves get back in action against the Chicago White Sox next weekend. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. Thank you.